Hello. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. There is excitement in the room. Yeah, food's here. Be here at 645 and we'll get you biscuit when we can. Hot biscuit. Yeah, come on at 645 and we'll get you a chicken biscuit when Chick-fil-A delivers. Yes. Guys, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that noticed getting up in the mornings, uh, the sun is rising a little bit later. I think they said in August we lose 50 minutes of daylight. Fall season is fast approaching and I'm ready to get out of the heat. Fall season approaching means deer camp. September, fish camp. Fish camp the last weekend in August. Anybody uh, here that wants to come down is welcome. So 25th, 26th, 26th through 28th, yeah. Yep. Yep. And then a deer camp. That's in Fairhope. Yep. Fairhope. And then uh, first deer camp at Ebenezer Place is uh, September 16th through 18th. September 16th through 18th. Yep. So what's deer camp like? Well, it's what this series is about. Removing the mask. Behind the mask is the true man. So as we've gone through the series and Phil talks about the, the performance side, it's interesting, I was talking to Forrest uh, just a minute ago before in the kitchen, and performance, you know, if you're self-employed, performance is pretty important. But there's a balance somewhere between performance and hiding. Where's the real man? I am a workaholic. I know that. It's socially acceptable. It's easy for me to manage my situations. It's easy for me to manage my pain until it becomes unbearable. So where do you go when it's unbearable? This is a good place to start, but if you really want to get behind the mask, take away the facade, and find the true self, the true person that God made you to be in his image, come to deer camp, come to fish camp. It is a place that you can open up. Lad, I remember you and I being there years ago. And the difference I've seen in your life over these past years, man, the guy you are today I really enjoy being with. Not that I didn't enjoy it before, but I know you. You know me. We know each other's struggles. <laughs> Once you get to that level, guys, it doesn't take long, even coming in here, 10 minutes to check in. Where are you? I'm struggling. Where are you? I'm doing good today. How things been? Do we need to go get coffee after this you got time for breakfast tomorrow let me call you next week let's stay in touch building a community and the starting of building that community is at deer camp if you have not been i can't encourage you enough to go it is a place where healing takes place it is a place where god shows up through other men, hearing your struggle, relating their struggle to yours, and you relating your struggle to other men. And you find out in all that 
mask wearing and charading, you're not the only one. We're all broken. We are all broken. And we've been called to be men. <clears throat> so how do we be head of a household? How do we be head of a marriage and do it in a godly fashion? I promise you, our children and our wives see the mask and they know what's underneath is turmoil. And the only way you're going to get closer is to remove the mask. Let the light of God shine into the darkness that's in your heart. Reveal the true you. And it is a scary proposition. But at the same time, I promise you, because God's made that promise. In the journey of you becoming whole, you will become more Christ-like. And the relationship that had been destroyed will be rekindled and growth will start new. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, I thank you for the men that are here. I thank you for the families that are represented. God, thank you for ceasefire, for the breakfast, for the coffee, for the leadership team, for the men of round table. More than anything, God, I thank you for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. His work on the cross, his taking upon himself my sins to restore me to you. May we never forget that. May we live it out the days of our lives. Mm. In your name I pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning. Excited to be here this morning. Appreciate uh, the room being full as we start. Um, want to continue to encourage you to be here in your seat or roaming the room at 645. Uh, get to know a, a, a new guy. Uh, it won't mess up your feng shui uh, all that much. You know, get the trash out on the curb a, a, a little bit early and uh, uh, come and be with us at 6.45, and, um, and then we, uh, we'll start with a room full of guys ready to go. I'm excited to offer you uh, another version of Amazing Grace, uh, that great gospel singer, um, Alan Jackson. Um, I've, I've played one version uh, of his Amazing Grace for you in the past, and Hal uh, sent me another version uh, that I love even better. And... Um, I wanted to share that with you. Uh, look at your uh, lyrics um, there on your handout. And once again, just to um, remind us of that last uh, stanza, uh, oftentimes we, we don't sing all the stanzas. We don't hear uh, all the stanzas of John Newton's uh, great uh, hymn and his, uh, the lyrics that he wrote um, as a redeemed um, slave trader and womanizer. Uh, who became a pastor, and, and uh, he sat down and wrote these incredible words, the last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, 
We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Eternity, hard to get our mind around that. May God open your heart to what he has for us this morning, Amazing Grace by Al Jackson. Found up hot.
It is amazing, is it not? Amazing. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me, gentlemen, as we dig in this morning. Let's go to work. Free to be a man. Take the mask off and ride the open road of grace. Many men try to hide and pretend they're not broken, but this only leads to more hiding, pretending, and despair, and nothing ever changes, and nothing ever changes, and nothing ever changes. And this morning, men, that's what we're talking about, um, is change. How do you bring about change in your life? This is an opportunity to change. We fear that God is almost never pleased. This study will lead us into the light between two different underlying motives, our determination to please God or to trust him. One results in a striving that never feels it has done enough to please him, and the other results in a trust that experiences his full pleasure. Our motives as Jesus followers will either keep us enslaved in our hiding or free us into God's adventure for our lives. Let's discover the open road of grace together right on. In this morning, um, we're looking at the sweet gift or the sweetest gift of grace. Repentance, an invitation to be different the sweet gift of grace. I love chocolate. You love chocolate? Mm -hmm. I hate licorice. I don't like licorice. You know? Uh, I can never understand those kids in second grade after Halloween and they'd have black all over their lips. And they'd been eating <coughs> licorice. I'm thinking, man, I, I think that's child ab abuse you know that your mama would let you eat that stuff I mean I can't stand to put it in my mouth you know and honestly guys to me that is such a a picture of what we're looking at uh, today I would suggest to you that this side of the ledger here that we're looking at uh, I would call this Licorice. <laughs> that's licorice. I mean, that's that's awful. You know what this is over here? This is chocolate. I love chocolate. I could eat a whole bag of chocolate. I mean, um, if I didn't have some kind of restraint, I could die with bags of chocolate around me. You know, eat myself to death. And that is what God's grace is like. Several years ago, and I write this um, in our book uh, on deer camp, Lions Are Born to Roar. 
uh, we were out at uh, the Love Shack, Walter, uh, and you had given us permission to use the um, pontoon boat, and we were doing stories, and we got to the afternoon, and it was, um, it was a hot se uh, September uh, afternoon, and we got on the pontoon boat, and um, we went out into the middle of the reservoir, and uh, one of the guys is telling his story, and it was it was a hard story, and 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 uh, I remember that he um, put his head down when it came time for him to tell his story, and the whole time he told his story, we looked at the top of his head, and that's all we saw, and he he was wringing his hands, wringing his hands, wringing his hands, telling a story, and when he finished, one of the guys said, "Dang." I'm glad that's over. I was getting ready to tie that anchor to my ankle and throw it overboard. And I said to him after he finished his story, and it was so painful for him to tell it, uh, I told him, I said, um, I want you to look around you right now. What do you see? And he said, well, I, I see a group of guys. Uh, no, I said, no, 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 not, not. I said, I want you to really look beyond the boat what do you see and he said i see water all around i see water all around and and i said this i said what i want you to imagine is that all the water that you see is just a tiny tiny sampling of god's grace and he's saying to you i accept you i'm not mad at you welcome Now, I don't know if that really took with him, but it's taken with hundreds of guys. And that's what we provide because what we're talking about here in terms of uh, a place, as best we know how, we've been offering um, chocolate to men for years at our dear camp at Ebenezer Place. It's a, it's a place of grace. When you're operating on this side of the ledger, what your motive is, uh, is to be accepted. I'm working so hard. In fact, I'm performing to be accepted. I call this the circus animal side of the ledger, that I'm trying to be a circus animal for Jesus. You know, I'm trying to learn how to bounce that ball on my nose, jump through a hoop, do a backflip. I'm in the circle for Jesus. I'm, a, I'm on performance. Mm -mm. You know what the motive is over here? I am accepted. And so therefore, algebraic form of therefore, I can enjoy intimacy, intimacy. You know what it looks like when a circus animal is trying to uh, gain intimacy? It is like a lot of blame and criticism, um, resentment, a lot of misery comes out of this side because it's never enough. You can't perform your way into acceptance. 
And then you start projecting that onto somebody else. And no matter what they do, it's never enough. There's many men in this room that have gone through divorce. Um, divorce is, is a tragedy. Um, and certainly there's always two shovels in the hole. That's what I always say. I mean, there's no divorce that there's one good guy and one bad guy. You know, divorces are collaborated upon two of them. Either you're not setting appropriate boundaries, you didn't have boundaries, you know, it's, it's a whole story, a narrative. But truly, if you're in this room, um, I would assume that what you're trying to do is get out of performance because it didn't work in your marriage and you're trying uh, to live in the room of grace. And that's what God gives us. He offers us an opportunity to change, to be rehabilitated, not to be trained as a circus animal, but to be given a new heart. And that starts with this idea of repentance. Repentance, I don't really like that word because I've had such bad experiences with it. You know, I grew up in East Tennessee and they build roads by cutting through mountains. And on the side of rocks, on the side of these mountains, they spray paint Bible words like Jesus saves. And I grew up in an area that's like, repent, repent. We've actually got a sign in, in that, that's right over Roan's bed uh, up at deer camp that says repent. And believe me, that sign is in a strategic place. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's a little bit creepy, you know, because it's like somebody's yelling at you. But guys, the, the, the intent of God saying repent is I want to give you an invitation to experience genuine intimacy with me. That's what repentance is. It's an invitation to come to the party, to sit at the table, to be welcomed into a room. That's what repentance is about. It's not like, you know, you're going to hell. So shape up. Wow, that's exciting. Now that may be true, but the delivery is a little bit lacking, you know? And this idea of change being offered in the room of grace is absolutely critical. I can change because I'm accepted rather than I'm working really, really hard to get accepted as I do the work of change. No, the work's already been done. The work's already been done. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. We read this every Friday night when we begin our men's coaching weekend. I love this passage, Romans chapter 5. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. In fact, that's the should. That's, that's this side over here. You should be better. You shouldn't do that. You sh there's laws about that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And the more that you hear, don't do that. What do you want to do? Do that. But 
sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. I love that phraseology, the aggressive, aggressive. It's like kudzu, spiritual kudzu. That stuff grows, aggressive kudzu forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. Guys, I learned this in graduate school, um, and it kind of hurt my feelings when I learned this, but I've, I've seen it lived out uh, so true. I heard in graduate school that when a person comes into my counseling room, or at that time would come into my counseling room, that they both knew the problem and had some sense of the solution and that I wasn't nearly as important as I might think I was to the change process. Well, now, wait just a doggone minute here. You know, I, you mean I'm in grad school and they already know what the problem is and the solution? Yeah. It's like nobody needs to know that you're wrong or you're bad. You know that. And yet what I learned in graduate school in a different kind of way than I'd learned even in Sunday school was that the more that I could offer acceptance to somebody that knew they needed to change, Marshall, right? That's, where, that's when the healing began. And I've tried you know, to practice that as best I can. It's not me telling you what to do. It's me offering a picture of the grace of Jesus that offers you a place of acceptance so that you can go do what you already know to do. That's grace. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, 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 because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Guys, I truly believe that you and I are not as far along as we would like to be, not because we don't know what to do, but because we feel condemned. We don't feel accepted. And what God offers us in this idea of acceptance is, is a room full of chocolate. Or you can stay over here and eat licorice. You know? Which do you want? Which do you want? Pick up your pen. I've got three questions for you. <clears throat> so the first question I would ask you this morning is what do you wish you could stop in your life? Well, think about that for a minute. What do you wish you could stop? I know, eating chocolate. <laughs> I wish I could stop eating so much chocolate, you know? In, in the literal sense, not the metaphorical sense, as I'm saying. But what do you wish you could stop? Write that down, I'll shut up. Just to prime the pump a little bit, you know, any any kind of basic change 
And when I started grad, uh, graduate school in counseling, the first paper that I remember writing, hopefully it was the first paper I had to write, but at least it's the first paper I remember writing, uh, was Dr. Hurley uh, asked us to write a paper on how does change take place? And um, I would say, I don't know what I wrote then, but I would say what I would write today would probably be different than what I wrote then. I've grown. Jesus told a parable about change. Um, and it's this idea of stopping and starting. Jesus told the parable and he said, a man had a demon, had an addiction, had an anger issue. Um, he had a relationship, whatever it is, he had a demon. And he was able to get rid of the demon and he sent the demon out into the desert. And the demon didn't like the desert any more than you and I would like the desert. It was, it's hot out there. And so he comes back to the man and as Jesus described the man, he came back to the man and found the man clean and the house empty, swept and clean. And so the demon gets the idea like, wow, this is pretty cool. It's even better now than when I left. So the demon goes and gets his seven buddy demons and they re-enter the man and the man is worse off in the second state than he was the first. Now, what, what was Jesus saying? What he's saying is if you want to change, if, if there's repentance to be done, then you've got to stop what you are doing, get rid of the demon, stop drinking, stop the anger, stop the reactivity, whatever. But what's more important than stopping is what you're going to start. Because if you just clean house, and it's just like, okay, I stopped, I stopped. Then the demon, the addiction is going to come back worser. Seven times worser. It's like, if you really want to stop something, I don't really care what you want to stop, but what I'm more interested in is what you're going to start. That's where the change really comes from. That's what Jesus is saying. So what are you starting? And I'm telling you guys, when you feel accepted and you don't feel uh, condemned, you're not on performance, uh, you're a lot freer to begin doing the work that you need to do. See, I would say, uh, even going back to what Joe was saying about performance, the difference between what work looks like here and over here is work looks like just a circus animal, just performance. I'm just, you know, oh, I'm going to go, got to, got to go to work. The beauty over here is, man, I am so grateful for the job that I have. And the work that I do today will be to the glory of God. And with a grateful heart, I will do everything I do with his power. Uh, and I'll live out uh, a life that he has directed me toward. And I'm in intimate relationship with God. Now that's a paradigm shift. That's very different, very different. Question number two, what do you fear will be found out about you? Right now, if somehow Jeff hit the button on the PowerPoint and he clicked up part of your story, what would you fear right now would come up on that? Picture and everything. Years ago, uh, and I think we're headed in, Jeff, to our 
14th year that we've been uh, here at C Spire. C Spire moved from downtown here 14 years ago. I've told this story before. Um, I met with Hugh. Uh, Hugh Mina was one of the first guys that I met when I first moved to Jackson, Mississippi. And Hugh and I have been uh, friends ever since. It was just a God thing. I mean, you know, I moved from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to here. And lo and behold, one of the first guys I have breakfast with is through a mutual friend is Hugh Mina at Cracker Barrel. And um, I had breakfast with Hugh uh, 14 years ago. And I said, Hugh, when are you guys moving out uh, to your new office situation out in Richland? And he said, well, uh, it'll be August. We'll be out there by August. I said, well, how about when we, uh, when you move out there, we start a men's group. Um, he said, let's do it. Humina. We're here because of Humina. But what happened the night before we had the first meeting, uh, Hugh had an anonymous letter laid on his desk. And the anonymous letter uh, said, do not let Phil Harden start that group. Phil Harden is not who you think he is. And Hugh uh, took the letter and went over to a mutual friend, Richard Ridgeway, who was in Richard's uh, um, driveway. And Richard knew uh, all about my broken story. And those of you who have been to Deer Camp, you know my broken story. Um, and, and Richard said, yeah, Phil's a broken man. Um, but he's gone through the process of healing. God's forgiven. You need to let Phil lead that men's group. And guys, I've stood before you for 14 years, and there's been times when I feared that somebody would stand up over here or over here and say, I'm the one that put that anonymous letter on Hugh's desk. And Phil Harden, you are not the man that you claim to be. And I've had guys like Phil Dixon and others who've sat with me in Canada and said that if that ever happened, that they would come up here and stand around me. Uh, because really my response this day is to that guy, it's like, you know, you only know the half of it. I'm really actually a lot worse than you think I am. <laughs> Guys, I am committed to being known rather than found out. How about you? And by the grace of God, I have the freedom to be known, not fearful that I'll be found out. That's what grace does. Question number three. Have you ever told your story to another man? Have you ever told your story to another man? Guys, there's such freedom in that. Such freedom in that. Come to Deer Camp September. You get a chance to do that and hear other men. And a lot of times sitting in a circle and men telling their story, you benefit as much or more from somebody else telling their story as you do from your, your own story. Right, Joe? It's amazing. But what I'm describing to you, gentlemen, is a room full of chocolate. It's the room of grace, and that's what we need.
man, I, I have grown so much as I have been graceful for the men who have accepted me and my own brokenness and allowed me to overcome shame for what I've done and not done and for the hurt that I've brought to those that I love, not maliciously, but you know, I am a sinner saved by grace. So grateful. So let's look at repentance. Repentance. What does it really look like? And I'm going to kind of uh, invite you to, to write with me. I'm going to add a little bit to your notes. So uh, listen with your pen. I would say on, on this side of the ledger, when we're talking about um, repentance, what the Bible talks about is another kind of Bible word. And I would say that that Bible word of confess is the idea of tell your story. And so um, in the room of grace, the place of grace, the chocolate room, we'll call it, it's like you can confess and open up um, about your story. But what you do over here is you hide and deny. And there's guys who will not come to Ebenezer Place because they know that it, they've heard, as I'm telling you now, that they get to tell their story and they're, they're afraid to tell their story. Or, or this is the one I love. Well, I really don't have a story. Uh, how about coming and let's see how that works out. I'll, I'll help you. I'll push you, right, Steel? I'll push you. Um, but wow. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. And I'm going to expand this, Jeff, and I meant to tell you this uh, earlier and I forgot, but I'm going to go all the way to verse 10 so you can work your magic there if you can. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 1. This is such a beautiful invitation. 1 John chapter 1. This is the passage that talks about confessing um, our sins. And, and again, I'm, uh, I'm changing that word in a little more contemporary uh, language of confession means to tell your story. That's what it means. So verse 6, 1 John, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him, God, of course, and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, walk in the light, walk in the light. Guys, somebody turn the light on. I want to be in the, in the room of light where, you know, you know the, the criminal, the bad guy, the evil guy runs to the alley. He runs to the dark. So no, I want to live in the light. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another, a shared life. We, we say over and over, life is a team sport. It's not meant to be lived in isolation. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son purges all our sin. Not my performance, but what purges my sin 
flushes out my sin is the blood of Jesus every day, every day, every day. I am free to ride the open road of grace. Now listen to this. This is verse 8. If we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. No, man. I don't want to be hiding or in denial. I'm a sinner. Not proud of that, but it are true. It are true. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if I, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we're out and out contradicting God. Make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. Just how really stupid we are. No. So repentance begins when we start to confess. You know, which comes first? And I, I love this theological uh, debate. Uh, Kevin, you, you'll love this. Okay, which, which, which is first, confession or repentance? Hey, really? I mean, we're going to sit here and argue about that? Man, okay, well, you got, well, you got to confess first, and then you repent. Well, no, 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 no. You got to repent, and then you confess. Dude, it's heads and tails of the same coin. You know? I want to change, and in order to change, I've got to tell my story. How about that? Simple as that. And so over here, what is actually a plus is that I'm powerless to change. And in and, and the words of change in the room of grace, the, room, the chocolate room, is I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't. I surrender. You know what is over here that's so destructive is willpower. Man, I'm going to clean up my life. Right, David? How many times did you say that? Yeah. Hundreds. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to stop eating pizzas at 2 o'clock in the morning. Those Pizzas are making me fat. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And dad gone and I can't wait to eat another pepperoni pizza. Because that's the way it works. It's not willpower. Hello, my name is Phil and I'm an alcoholic. And what do the, all the alcoholics at the AA meeting say? Yeah, welcome, Phil. Glad you're here. Me too. Thirdly, this idea of resource. Our greatest resource over here is simple trust. God, I trust you to change me. I want to repent. I want to change. So I trust you. Rather than trust over on the other side of the ledger is just work. Now there's work over here, but it's work done out of a place of acceptance the work that's done over here is just, I'm going to gut it out and I'm trying to be accepted. That's how that works. God has created us for good works, but when we're under the, uh, uh, the umbrella of grace, 
it's like, man, it's happy work. It's enjoyable work. It's hard work. But I'm empowered. On this other side, dude, it's like miserable. Trying to do it in your own efforts is like trying to run a marathon in a cul-de-sac. You're going to run into a house. Over here is the idea of I am redeemed. Somebody else made it possible. That's the beauty of the room of grace. I'm redeemed. Over here is I want justice. Dad, don't it, God? I'm working hard. I want justice. Don't ever ask for justice. Right? Those of you that have a little bit of theological understanding, you know, you don't want justice. Because the only way that we have any hope at all is that God will remove the justice. His, it's like God is the judge. He is in his judge's robe. And rather than declare justice on you and me, he takes that robe off and he walks around the bench and he puts his arm around us and he says, you know, I could condemn you to hell right now. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that which is most valuable to me. And I'm going to pay the price for you. I sent my son that he would suffer the pain that you deserve. Don't ask for justice. I want to show this clip to you. William Wilberforce fought slavery in England for over 40 years. And it was pretty much on his deathbed that slavery was abolished in England. He fought for 40 years because he understood grace and the need for grace. And he stood time and time again um, in the halls of parliament and represented a group of image bearers of God that were abused. Watch this clip. Something of a sound. I do remember. So I think I'm going to go and sing them a song. <laughs> like a chorus of bloody tomcats. Now, let me introduce you to somebody who does it properly. I would like to dedicate this song to my honorable friend, His Grace, the Duke of Clarence. It was written by my old preacher. He was captain of a slave ship for 20 years. He repented his sins, and then he wrote this song. Like 
Guys, when grace is infused into a room of circus performers, hearts can be changed. The training is over. The heart change has begun. Look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verse 3. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Easy marks for sin. Ordered every which way by our glands. Going around with a chip on our shoulder. Hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. It was all His doing. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored, redeemed, has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more to life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. And let's begin the great adventure. Wow! That's repentance, gentlemen. It's bowing the knee. Now, there's, there's, there's three inhibitors that we'll put over here. Three things that will keep you over here in the room of licorice. Isolation, keep hiding. Pride, you know, keep blaming everybody else. It's never your fault. And the wrong motive, and the wrong motive over here is to be accepted. I'm just doing this so that I won't go to hell, that I will be accepted. That's about as intimate as eating licorice. In contrast to that is I get on a team as opposed to being isolated. I've got brothers around me that when I am condemned, I call. Sat with a young man earlier this week, and he's learning that when he gets in this bad, bad place, he's, he, he told me about calling five of his friends. I think, doggone it, could you just come and talk to a bunch of guys on Thursday morning for me? You know, he was calling his team. And so it's a team, and then guys, there is no change without humility. Humility is the fertile ground of change. Don't tell me you're repenting that you want to change and you have a prideful attitude. That, that, that's, in, that's, in, that's incongruent. That piece of that puzzle does not fit where you're trying to fit it. It's, it's like watching a three-year-old trying to jam pieces of a puzzle together. It won't fit that way. Humility. I don't have anything to bring to the party. And then, and then, and then, and then the motive. Again, the motive. It's just um, intimacy and kindness that I understand that God wants. A better life for me. 
and I receive it. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and I'll just quote it. But this is now your new favorite verse. Romans 2, verse 4. Uh, to me, is one of the most important verses in all scriptures. Not John 3.16. Well, I mean, I mean John 3.16 is pretty important. But I'm telling you, Romans 2, verse 4, when it comes to change or repentance, is critical. And Romans 2, verse 4, just simply says this, but it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Wow. Let me just close with this last piece, grace in action. And I want to read you a description of what grace looks like. And I want to suggest to you that this is what we've been doing at Ebenezer Place for 22 years, what we've been doing here for 14 years, as best we know how. Grace in action. In a grace-filled, and there's a typo there, not grave-filled <laughs> community. In a grace-filled community, a different view. That may be prophetic. So, <laughs> you know, we do have a graveyard up there, and, and, I, and I keep telling Carla that's where I want to be buried. And she says, "You're not going to be buried in Holmes County. That ain't working." No, that's where I want to be buried. In a grace-filled community, a different view of life in God biases the whole culture toward repentance. This community expects and anticipates imperfection. We honor others in the community of saints, but we also face the reality of each other's sin. We applaud vulnerability and view godliness as something much more than the presence of good behavior and the absence of bad behavior. Huh. The individuals in this community trust God to mature them from the inside out by the power of his spirit in his timing. No one feels a need to hide for no one's parading his own righteousness. Everyone feels safe to be real and alive. In this community, repentance is as accessible to its members as chocolate. Into the community of grace comes a hurting, tired, broken down man who, has, who has, may have spent all his Christian life in a community of folks with good intentions. When failing strivers stumble into a community of grace, safety, and vulnerable repentance, freedom awaits. When repentance becomes a constant, recognizable part in an environment, a man in that culture experiences freedom they never knew. A man is set free to become the man God designed him to be. Welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your grace. I like chocolate. Let's close your prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. For saving a wretch like me, wretches like us. And when we have been there 10,000 years, it'll be as fresh as day one. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a great week.